This is the Wealth and Law Podcast, a podcast about the intersection of personal wealth and the legal landscape. We'll take a deep dive into relevant topics. We'll basically teach you what we know, and we'll engage with guests with deep expertise in their field. We hope that you'll enjoy this episode and many more episodes. So please join us on this journey as we try to bring you relevant information that is both timely and important for you to know in order to engage in this area of the world. Brett Nelson, it's a pleasure to have you here this early Friday morning. We are talking because the House Ways and Means Committee earlier this week released proposals for tax reform. And as a state tax planners, there were a couple things in there we wanted to get some, you know, hot thoughts off on and just see where we are, you know, what are we thinking now? What are you thinking now? So I'll toss it to you for a first, uh, go ahead and introduce yourself. Well, first of all, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, having this kind of a conversation with anybody who will listen to me talk about it is a pleasure. So thank you for that right off the bat. Uh, my name is Bre- yeah. <laughs> my name's, uh, Brent Nelson. I'm a partner at the law firm Ramon PC. I do uh, basically rich people laws, what I tell people. It's, it, it ends up being just like very wealthy clients and all of their many uh, legal travails on the private wealth side of things. So lots of trust, lots of tax planning, lots of just family business, family culture type planning. So this this little component of the tax bill, which is 881 pages long, lest anybody forget. So the thing that we're going to talk about is like this teeny tiny little sliver of 881 pages. Right. And so with that in mind, there's a lot we've, you know, as tax planners, and my practice overlaps with yours, this, there are Couple big things that we want to talk about right now. Of course, the the caveat is these are proposals only. They haven't even yeah. gotten out of committee. The we're probably looking at a busy end of year, almost no matter what. Which you know, I'll I'll take that. But I'm going to start with the first and kind of the easiest top line that we have from this, and that is that the estate tax unified exemption amount is bring being brought down. Now we already knew it was coming down. All they're doing in this proposal is accelerating it by four years. So instead of it coming down in 2026, like I've been telling my clients, it's coming down to the inflation-adjusted $5 million in 2022, which gives us a little over three months, possibly, to do something. So, you know, initial thoughts on that from you, Brett. Yeah, it's really interesting because it's not actually a huge sea change, like you're pointing out. Like, we were already telling people your exemption is going to be 5 million index for inflation, whatever that number is. So, you know, if you take the current 11.7, divide that in half, we'll say roughly $6 million uh, on January 1. So it's just front loading that a few years early. That doesn't change the planning too much. What changes the planning is this much shorter time horizon to do something like you're pointing out. Cause by the end of the year, if you're, if you're doing something at all, you know, it's like at the wedding, if you're going to, you know, if you have some opposition, you got to say it now or forever hold your peace. It's sort of like that. Like if you're going to use this extra amount above the 5 million, you got to use it now. Right. And that has always been the, one of the confusing things for clients, at least on my end of, we can use this. But unless you're going to go over that exemption or the the part that's going to disappear, you're not going to get anything for it. the The way I've understood it, and you know, part of the reason you're on here is to make sure I'm thinking about this the right way. You know, if you if you make a one million dollar gift this year, you end up with ten point seven of remaining credit, and then in if you don't make any other gifts, let's assume the law doesn't change in 2026, you'll have inflation adjusted five million. Call that six and a half million total minus a million dollars. 
So it's only once you go over that, again, whatever the, the drop is going to be, that you're getting into the potentially free gifts zone. Yeah, that's true. And, and that's exactly what I've been telling people until Monday this week. And oh. Monday this week, because of some of the, the trust changes that uh, we'll talk about here in just a second, I've been telling people, whatever amount you can do, do it. And it doesn't matter because you're getting something out of it because of the changes to the trust law. So I'm actually, I've actually changed my tune on that in short order. I always reserve the right to change my mind, by the well, way. Sure. So, so with everybody, I'm like, yeah, hey, if things change, I'll just change my mind. But that's that's what happened on Monday. I changed my mind. Exactly. We've, you know, what we didn't get, and the thing that people, I think, have been, uh, you know, uh, chicken littling about was retroactivity. Yeah. When we've gotten retroactivity in the past for capital gains, you've got that, you know, we're not going to get into the capital gains tax changes here, but the fact that the retroactivity didn't apply to estate and gift tax changes. We didn't see that in 2010. We haven't seen that before. My thought was always, you're not going to see retroactivity, at least in our realm. Yeah, that that was usually my inclination as well as that the chances of it were not great. Mind you, I'm a nervous lawyer. So when I was drafting documents for these big gifts, I was including clauses that took into account the retroactivity. But I think the on the scale of like probabilities from 100 to zero, it was much closer to zero than 100. Right. Um, and I think I finally laid it to rest for myself when Bernie's bill earlier this year did not include retroactivity. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, so I'm going to just say, you know, I'll, we'll leave that part to the side. It's interesting that you're thinking, go ahead and make any gifts you can right now. I'm still in the we're, we're still early days on this. I'm not mm -hmm. yet ready to say everything, but I am going to, you know, that's just in the context of just the exemption going down. What we really want to, I think, talk about is, well, like you mentioned, changes to the grantor trust rules. Mm -hmm. And what we've had for years is the kind of the intentionally defective rules that benefited all of our clients. So years ago when trust tax rates were much lower than individuals. The incentive was to put assets in trusts and have the trusts pay lower income tax rates. Congress figured that out and said, oh, you know, we'll fix your wagon. And any income in certain trusts, if the income's coming back to you, you're going to pay income tax on that as though the trust didn't exist. Well, we flipped that on its head for the last, I mean, as long as I've been practicing, so the last uh, 12 years, I'm sure it's, I know it's gone back further than that. And now Congress is saying, well, or at least the Ways and Means Committee is saying, if you're going to pay income tax on it, you're not going to be able to have it taxed as a, or treated as a completed gift effectively for estate and gift tax purposes. So mm -hmm. this is going to be a big change in what we're doing. So yeah. <laughs> with yeah, that, you're, you're where do we even start? Right. Yeah, you're 100% right. It's a, it's a huge change. And, and effectively, it, to, to sort of, flesh that out a little bit for people, you know, you might be thinking, well, why would you want to say, make a gift to your kids? And then you pay the tax bill for your kids trust. That's a raw deal for you. Well, what you're trying to do is shift value and in particular future appreciation on large assets into this trust for the kids. And if you're trying to get as, because this trust is not going to be in under the current laws, not going to be subject to estate tax. And if you want as much estate tax planning as possible, you want as much appreciation to happen inside of that trust as you possibly can. If you're paying the tax on behalf of the trust, 
it's growing income tax-free like a Roth IRA for your family. It's like you just invented a Roth IRA, except you get to put in as much money as you want. And so the, the technique is very popular for that reason. What I'm telling people now is because it's going away and the, and the effective date for that is the enactment date of the bill, whenever that is. So whenever right. it becomes law, it's presumably sometime between now and December 31. So what I'm telling people vis-a-vis you know, vis-a-vis what I just mentioned about these gifts is if we can have one of these trusts now and we can't have it after the enactment date, I would like to set one up now just to have it. Right. Just to have it. So we're going to set it aside. We're not going to use it, but we're just going to have it. It's going to be there. And we're just going to let that ride because it's such a valuable tool for these appreciation planning, estate tax planning purposes that if you could have it, you would want it. Right. And this is the part where I mean, I think you're right here of the clients who were maybe on the fence, the clients I had told before, eh, you know, we've got a few years to think about this. We're going to be going back to them and saying, you may lose out on this, you know, good news and bad news. We can get this done really quickly. And even if you, if all you're doing is putting the $10 bill in there from, you know, what little I've seen of the bill, because it's 800 pages and I don't want to invest too much time in uh, reading something that isn't quite law yet, we're grandfathering, I mean, the important part is we're grandfathering everything that existed before enactment. And we're going to have, we'll call it a, at least a month to to uh, ring the bell on this for our clients. Mm-hmm. And there's, a, there's an additional little caveat to that in the bill. So assuming that the bill passes exactly as it is written right now, every, every trust that was funded and created after the enactment date or on or after the enactment date doesn't get the benefit of the old quote unquote old rules, the current rules. And contributions that are made to trusts that were created before the enactment date but the contribution is made after the enactment date, those contributions don't get the benefit of the old uh, the old rules. It's not clear if what they mean by that, first of all, it says contributions, not gifts or transfers. Right. It just says contributions. So who knows what that actually means? And second of all, it's not clear what they if what they mean by that is if you, you know, if you put a dollar into an old trust that taints the whole trust and now it's subject to the new rule, or if you put a dollar into the old trust, it's only like the proportionate piece of that $1 that is subject to the new rule. So I think in the future, what's going to happen, and, and this is going to get a little wonky for anybody who isn't into this kind of stuff. So you'll, you'll appreciate it. Nobody else will. There were, there exist in the world of estate planning trusts of similar ilk. They're called grandfather GST trusts that existed before 1986. And what, and with those trusts, essentially you can't change them. If you change them, if you modify them in any real substantial way, they lose certain tax benefits. And I think these grantor trusts are going to be the same way going forward, assuming this law is going to be quote unquote permanent and it's going to actually last for a while. So that's, again, back to my point, what I'm telling clients is if we can get one of these things set up now, let's do it now. The other piece to that, the backside of that is if you create a grantor trust in the future and the grantor trust then makes a distribution to your point, John, the distribution is treated as a gift, as if you made the gift when it made the distribution. And if you decide to turn off the grantor trust status, quote unquote, toggle off the transfer uh, grantor trust status and, you know, professional lingo here. Right. That is another gift. So if you create these grantor trusts in the future, you're going to not, you can't touch them. They're going to have to just run. But if you create it now, you can actually get distributions out of them and you could potentially toggle off the grantor trust status. So again, if I can set it up now 
and just have it on the sideline, it gives me some options. So I'm telling people just do it. Whatever you're comfortable doing, do it. So even if it's, and so that's where I think the the comfort level with the clients of you need to part with something, even if it's $100,000 that you can afford sure. to make, we want to put something in there because, you know, I've got a few clients where this is now where I'm going to say, no, this, we've got draft trust agreements out there. Let's go ahead and get them signed. Let's transfer in. I mean, one of them is family that owns, you know, multi-million dollar business. They were going to gift in parts of it. Uh-huh. We need to gift that in there uh, pretty quickly. And we can probably even thinking about a wandry style gifting clause of, you know, we don't know what it's worth. Just kind of jam it all in there. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I would. And yeah, uh, yeah. we'll figure it out later. A hundred percent. And I honestly, I, I sent a letter out to 100 plus clients and I said, here's the deal. I you know told them basically the same thing I just told you and everybody else. So now it's no longer a secret. Uh, you know, trade secrets are gone, but, oh, yeah. um, and I told everybody, and by the way, there's no guarantee I'll get to you. No guarantee. So yeah. if you want this done, you better contact me now. And I'm, I'm that, even though it's a proposal and it's not the law yet, I'm pretty religious as of Monday. Again, as of Monday, I changed my mind. I'm pretty religious on this topic that like, no, we, I feel the urgency. It needs to happen. The momentum I think is there that something very similar to this bill is going to become the law. Right. It's, I'm not there yet, but the, you know, that's the benefit of being the independent advisor. You know, it's not my money, so I can't tell you what you're going to be comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've got a few minutes left to talk about it. There are a couple things, uh, specifically slats and eyelets that have some interesting changes Mm -hmm. that I wanted to go through. Now, we hinted at some of the eyelet provisions. So these are irrevocable life insurance trusts primarily used, put the life insurance in the trust. The trust owns the policy. It Therefore, the death benefits are not subject to estate tax. You then have liquidity to fund estate tax payments on death in a way that's not subject to estate tax. Uh, years ago, I had one client well over the line who was sold a $20 million policy outside of a trust. And you know, all I could do was just shake my head at the advisor who didn't bother to call me first say, well, you sold him 20, but he's going to, he's paying for 20, he's going to get 12. And so this is potentially what we're looking at again is we're narrowing down what life insurance can do in terms of being able to be there to fund the payment. And this, I mean, this one almost strikes me as we're saying it now, like it's, it's a stab at the life insurance industry, probably unintentionally. Um, I'd be surprised if the life insurance industry doesn't come back and say like, hey, you're going to kill us on something like this. Yeah, they're going to figure it out. Yeah, uh, uh, Somebody in the life insurance industry understands these rules and they're going to figure it out. But the, to get a little granular on that, the, the reason that John is mentioning it is in code section 677, it essentially says two things that are really bad for life insurance trusts and for so-called slats, trusts that you set up for your spouse. Uh, number one, it says any income that's distributed to the grantor the grantor is deemed to be the owner of that income under these grantor trust rules. Oh, and by the way, in 672, it says, and if it's payable to your spouse, it counts as if you're getting it. So that blows up the slat. Right. So now the slat planning gets blown up immediately that way. Then you read a little bit further down in 677, it says, and if you can pay income to pay a premium on a life insurance policy for your life, you'll be deemed to own the portion of the trust that is paying that income, which usually is the whole trust. 
And that's the, the islet or the irrevocable life insurance trust. So the whole thing is treated as a grantor trust that blows up the islet planning under these new uh, grantor trust rules. Because the thing that is included in your estate is the asset of the trust, which when you're dead is going to be the death benefit, which right. is going to be worth way more than the policy was during your lifetime. And so that's a horrible result if you have a taxable estate. And there's still maybe other reasons to do these islets other than estate tax planning, because if people don't have five plus million dollars, you could still do an islet for creditor protection or to fund buy sells or something else where you need a little bit of control on it. But otherwise, it's going to be very difficult to do islets. Maybe I mean, it's right. I'm, I'm as it stands right now, it's hard to imagine pre-funding an entire life insurance policy you know, by the end of the year. Mm hmm not otherwise using income of the trust so you can't you can't even put in potentially a portion of the family business that would kick off income that you then use to pay income tax i mean the just thinking here it may be some sort of you know are we looking back at like beat it or so the beneficiary defective inheritors trust where somebody else sets up the trust for you you we then flip the script and so you're the grantor maybe there's some way of weaving through where the the grantor isn't really the person you know isn't defined as the grantor who's the one who created the trust but it's the grantor because of uh that you know the the rules that allow you to have somebody other than the person who created and funded the trust Unfortunately, I think it's going to include Vedits as well. But again, it will not include pre-enactment grantor trusts. Okay, so sort of back to my little diatribe here about my religiosity on creating these trusts now. I'm to also telling clients if they're even slightly contemplating islets or they still own life insurance in their hands, I want to put it into irrevocable trust today and if not right. today, tomorrow, and if not tomorrow, the next day. And I want to put in enough money that I think can sustain that policy comfortably or at least sustain, say, loans into the trust to pay the premiums on the policy because that's how we're going to have to fund the trust in the future because, again, the rule says if you make contributions to these pre-enactment trusts, the contributions will then expose the trust to these new rules. Well, that means you can't make annual exclusion gifts to the trust. That's off the table. That's gone. Right. Unless unless they come out with guidance that says annual exclusions don't count. So, And this is something that the IRS has never really been fully on board with anyway. Yeah. They've been trying to attack these things in tax court and elsewhere for a very long time, losing all the time. Um, so yeah, I, I wouldn't put it past them to say, no, when, when Congress said contribution, they meant everything, right? Gifts, non-gifts, everything. Uh, Brett, before we go, I think the last topic, you hinted on it a little bit, but slat planning, so spousal lifetime access yeah. trusts. I will admit I have never been a big fan of these. I think most of the guidance that we get on this from people who love them generally, I mean, I look at it and it doesn't pass the smell test with me. I've always told clients, you know, if you're even thinking about this, the trust that isn't for one of the spouses needs to really not be for that spouse. And so what we're thinking about is gifts from one spouse to the other spouse in trust. The other spouse does, you know, a not reciprocal, but effectively reciprocal trust where assets are moved out, you're utilizing the marital deduction for gift tax purposes, and then hoping your trusts are not so similar as to be unwound by the IRS and the courts later on. 
my thoughts on this have always been, it's fine to make a gift from one spouse to the other, because that's, you know, we're, we're giving that on to one spouse. But the too clever by half, we signed these on different days in different months. The planning that says, well, you know, if we use a different font or have a different power of attorney or power of appointment, that has always struck me as you're just asking to get uh, laid out if the IRS picks you. It's just more dangerous than it's worth. Yeah, I think you're right. I think with reciprocal slats, you've got some issues to work through. There's some... There's some helpful case law, in particular the Levy case, that seems to indicate that even small differences in the economics of the trust will will fix the problem. I have done a handful of them. I don't tend to do them in reciprocal fashion. And if I'm going to do them in reciprocal fashion, I in, I don't only insist that you maybe like have a power of appointment of one and not the other. I insist that the entire class of beneficiaries from one to the other is different. And I always insist on there being an independent trustee involved. I do not want my clients to be in control of their own uh, their own trust if it's going to be a reciprocal trust in particular, because I think there's a potential for a, a section 2038 issue that could come up. So um, slats as a planning technique, if they change these grantor trust rules are going to go away anyways. So it's not really going to matter that much. I right. think I think the future is this, though, if I'm if I'm like putting on my uh, my uh, tinfoil hat here and prognosticating, and that is people are going to remember that code section 2701 exists and that you can do preferred partnerships if they're structured right. And they might even remember that you could do a preferred partnership that intentionally violates the rules of 2701 and causes a major gift, but allows you to retain an interest in that gift. Um, for anybody who is in the industry and they care about these things, there's a very good article by Stacy Eastland in a state planning journal from 2018. I can't remember which month it was. He was actually running through techniques dealing in the aftermath of the Trump tax changes. Uh, but he walks through this technique on how to do uh, these types of preferred partnership transactions. It's very clever. And I think it's going to be the way of the future, quite frankly, if you can't do normal grantor trust, normal like sales to grantor trust type planning, you're going to have to find a different way to do it. And this is probably going to be the vehicle. Right. Um, you know, it's not that gifting's going away. It's just one of the major tools for accelerating those gifts mm -hmm. may be disappearing. Well, mm -hmm. this is probably as good a place as any with that look into the future. Uh, thanks for being here. We will hope to have you back to talk about this more. My pleasure. Thank you, John. Hey listeners, thank you so much for spending time with us. Rachel and I both really appreciate it. We've really enjoyed doing the podcast. We're trying to do our best work and bring you valuable and useful information. And I hope you feel the same way. And if so, please subscribe to the podcast, leave us reviews, uh, subscribe to our blog if you want to follow us and see the sort of things that we write about. And also follow us on social media at Wealth and Law, basically everywhere that social media is. Thanks so much.